Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host, Travis Tyler, and joining me today is someone I would count as a, a friend and just enjoy talking to, Joe Ledford. Thank you for being with me today, Joe. Glad to be here. Thanks. Now, Joe, one of the first times I heard you speak was at the association here, and you shared a very important mythological principle about ice cream. Mm-hmm. Will, will you share that real quick? It's not original with me. I borrowed it, one of those things that you can do if you're in ministry. And it simply says, people who are opposed to the gospel are not opposed to ice cream. And I embraced that and began to use ice cream as an opening tool to get people's attention. And we've given away thousands of ice cream cones. The secret being free, and then people want to know why is it free. At that point, you're often running into a conversation about the free gift of salvation. I love it. All right, well, let's, uh, let's just rewind the tape, though. Tell me about uh, your testimony first, how the Lord saved you. Uh, your mother was a faithful member here, even though she couldn't attend. She was probably yes. the most faithful homebound member I think I've ever had as a pastor. Uh, I know you grew up around a Christian mother yes. and, and a Christian father. True. And so just tell us how you came to know Christ. My mother was a great example of Christianity to me. She showed me what it means to be a Christian. And my dad as well. But mom was instrumental in having me to examine what I believed. We would sit up into wee hours of the night, and she would purposely take another side of of an issue to make me sharper in my thinking about why I believe what I believe. I was uh, exposed to Christ from the day one. I have a picture of myself in a a Baptist church nursery. I grew up in Fairview Baptist Church here locally, and through my mother's influence, Sunday school teachers, and the preaching of God's Word, uh, one day when I was eight years old, it, I realized I, I hadn't had time to do a lot of bad things, Travis. I was just eight. Right? <laughs> That's great. That's good. But I realized that I was a sinner, that I was in need of salvation, and of course, God, when that happens, He'll give it to you if you ask Him for it, and so... I was saved over in a Baptist church and been in Baptist churches all my life since then. Yeah, but you know what's great about that testimony is God may have spared you many sorrows yes, in uh, being raised that way. I, I wouldn't uh, pretend to have been a, a, a faithful Christian all that time. I had times of my life as a young adult when I was away from God. It, he never moved away from me, but I certainly wasn't as faithful to Him as I could have been and should have been. But he will take you back, which is a wonderful part of being a Christian. He's always there and always wants you back. All right, well, let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, I know that you went to Lynn Valley for a while. We, yes. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. And I think you were over Sunday school, right? I was. I was a Sunday school superintendent there. I taught Sunday school first. A good example of reaching out to people is why I was at Lynn Valley. We, when I married, we moved to Lynn Valley. Neither my wife nor I were in church at that time, although we had both been saved and been in church. And we decided that 
if we if our marriage was going to be successful it had to be based on God's way of marrying mm-hmm. his idea of marriage and the pastor at that time of the church and a deacon came to visit my wife was working I was there alone they came to see me and we talked and I told Linda about it afterward and we talked about really it'd be good if we get back to church but weeks went by and we didn't go and they came back mm-hmm. and I thought if these people think enough to come again we're just go up there and see what's going to happen. And I said, as we walked out the door, Travis, I said, now we're sitting on the back row and I'm not getting involved here. <laughs> but the next thing you know, I'm a Sunday school teacher, deacon, Sunday school superintendent, and I got involved pretty heavy. And then you uh, you shared with me there were, there were hurdles you noticed in Sunday school and mm-hmm. trying to grow that thing, right? There were. It's hard. We were settled in at that point, I, I feel like, where a lot of churches are. Whoever came was welcome. Whoever came was uh, embraced. But we weren't really looking outside trying to bring the lost in. It was okay if they came in, but we weren't real active about that. One day, I got a phone call right before church telling me that my good friend's mother had just passed. I went off to Sunday school, made sure there was a teacher in every class, which I think is the primary role of a Sunday school superintendent. And then I hustled down to his house, trying to get back in time for the preaching service. And as I drove the length of Elizabethan, I noticed boats filling up with gas, cars out everywhere driving around, parking lots at stores with more cars than there were at Lynn Valley Baptist. And it just struck me, we should be going out. I knew better than to do this because I didn't think it'd be well received at the time. But I thought, why wouldn't we take Sunday school in one of these parking lots down here and just not necessarily try to make somebody come, but just be seen? Because I think a lot of people might drive by a church on the way to the lake. They don't know what we're doing in there. Mm-hmm. So why would they feel comfortable to come in. So I sort of, that was a defining moment for me that it takes getting outside in order to get people to come inside. Yeah, you know, my mentoring, or well, he was a mentor too, but my preaching professor tells a story of a girl lost in the woods. And he said the the rescue, search and rescue team went to find her. And when they got to the woods where she had gone lost, they set up camp and they stopped. He said, how foolish is it to think that a search and rescue team should just set up camp at the base of the woods Mm. and say to themselves, well, we've set up camp. She'll find us. Right, exactly. Uh, Only the church is foolish enough to think that. Right. Well, it is. And it's terrible to be lost, but it's worse to be lost and not know that you're lost. Right. And I think that's the case of a lot of people. They have some brush with church or some brush with a Christian. And they believe, sincerely believe, that if they can just be right and do right and hope for the best, do the best they can, hope for the best. Maybe even take what's dealt to them like they have in life. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I think we have to help people understand the truth of their lostness. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Now, let's fast forward a little bit here to, you knew Mr. Bob Polk, and there's actually, for those of you listening, you can go back and listen to, There's we had to break his up into two. He's got two where I did an interview with him. Mm. You were good friends with him, right? Yes. When 
Linda and I really became interested in missions. Bob was the director of missions for the Watauga Baptist Association here. And he directed missions. He was very missional. And he saw something in me that I didn't know was there at the time. And he furthered that and helped us. Uh, and we actually came into mission service through the North American Mission Board. And he was our supervisor, and we were assigned right here in the Watauga Association. You know, you think about missionaries being sent to foreign lands or different cultures, and that's true, and they do and should. But we started right here because we we were... Actually, what we did was continue doing what we had started a few years earlier under Bob's supervision through his guidance, especially through Hale Community Ministries. And Bob made a big influence. One of the things he showed me was uh, he, he had a policy about who could receive help at HCM, and, he, and it was anyone. He said, if someone comes and says they need food or clothing, we're going to give it to them if we can. We're not going to try to grade them and see if they need that, really, or deserve that, really. And I watched a woman abuse that policy for years on end, before she became a Christian. And her testimony is she knew, we knew that she was cheating us and we loved her anyway. <laughs> Maybe there's a lesson for us at the church, right? I think so. All right. So then you you and Bob's relationship develop and he tells you about a conference. Yes. Right? He told us about a mission conference down in Atlanta called Touch a Life. Linda and I went and we were trying to find our place. How could we serve in missions? Uh, both two lay people who had a desire to reach out in missions but didn't know exactly what the path was, didn't know what any requirements were, or how we were going to do that. Linda went into a conference about ministering to gangs. And why she did that, uh, Travis, I, I'm not real <laughs> sure, but because there weren't a lot of gangs. Was so she worried about you? I you? think she might have thought, you know, <laughs> if I passed a tattoo parlor and looked in or something, I don't know what it was. But I went into one, and it was about a program of the mission board called Mission Service Corps. And basically, it let lay people serve if they could fund the, their activity. And I remember rushing out and telling Linda, I think I found where we're going to be. And that's where we ended up, was serving through that, that method of, of missions, which effectively doubled the missionary force in America and Canada, which was also under the, the purview at that time of, of North American Mission Board. So it let us get started, and we were what's called tent makers. We worked our jobs, newspaper reporter and hairdresser, and then we did missions in our off time. So we worked full-time and ended up doing mission full-time, and it didn't leave us much time, but it was wonderful, and, mm. and that's what we did. So locally here, the way we started, we had been, by 1996, we had been three times on mission trips. The first one was to New Orleans, Louisiana, in the housing projects there. I later learned that they were thought of at that point of being the most dangerous place in America. A little boy at our backyard Bible club on Monday was shot and killed on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was really hard. And a group of us from the association, from many churches, uh, I found out later, each one, of, which 
we all, we were about 15 of us. We had one shower, so you scheduled your time and for that, and I'll, that was my crying place. I'd go in there and try to unload everything that mm-hmm. I'd been seeing. And I found out later many of us were doing that. And as we came back on the bus, we began to talk about, was Carter County going to turn out like New Orleans? And at that time, I was covering governments, civic clubs. I was going into our housing projects here and seeing crime and disturbance and family uh, breakups. And I was attending the board meetings and some good people on those boards, and they were trying to do good things, but it it wasn't going to work. And we decided the only thing that would help up there or anywhere is introduce Jesus to them. Mm-hmm. Civic clubs and government programs are not going to do it, not going to change things. It's just not. And so we began a children's Bible club at Pine Ridge Circle in South Hills, and eventually five big A clubs, we call them, uh, sprang up throughout Carter County, and children were being loved. And amazingly, uh, adults, parents, began to be saved before children did, mm. which was incredibly nice. And once that happened, we didn't press for them to come to church. We went to them, into their community. But as they became saved, they started asking to come to church, and, and they did. And so they got involved in church. And the lady I was just telling you about who who abused the system that was later saved, her children were in the Bible clubs, and, and some of them were saved. And we're still in touch with some of those. Now they're young adults with children of their own. So... Mm-hmm. It was rewarding and challenging and scary, but it was great and well worth everything we put into it. We've always got way more out of missions than we've ever put in. So you served here and did those uh, plants, and and was the social economic barrier very difficult in plugging them into local churches here? It was. It was terribly difficult. Um, You know, people would... No matter how hard they try not to, you you see differences in people that are obvious. But I'll tell you this. A young fellow tree trimmer named Rodney, I asked him one time, was he ever afraid up in those trees? And he said, every time, because if I fall out and die, I don't know what will happen to me. Hmm. And we began to talk, and he was saved on that very day in that conversation and as we got down into it i noticed he was wearing a t-shirt that said this bud's for you i thought how cool you know <laughs> well he had a ponytail and he, he dressed uh, you know a little provocatively sometimes with tank shirts and that sort of thing and he started coming to church with us and and i knew it was going to be tough for some folks to to adapt to that but you know he began to change his appearance. He cut his hair. Now, I didn't tell him to now. Nobody did that I know of. But he started changing a bit and dressing in a, a more conventional way, more like the others at the church were doing. And so I just watched God change him, and I didn't really have to talk to him much about that. He just uh, it, it just came up from within him. But it was hard, and, and hardly any of them stuck in church, I'd have to say. I think they would have done better had a church met in their community Hmm. among them. And that's what's happening now over at Linwood, Lynn Ridge. 
Julie Lyons and others are doing a great job over there, and I think Grace has been involved in that a good deal. Yeah, we've done several things, laundry ministry mm-hmm. and things like that, and uh, Ann Teeter has been real instrumental in that ministry, but uh, I think some of that slowed down with COVID, but in the yes, past, I um, think it's been better. Right. Um, so, uh, well, the there is a difference, too, in Appalachia between people who are city poor and mm-hmm. people who are mountain poor yes. in the more rural areas. I'm sure you've seen the difference, haven't you? I have, but, you know, in each of those groups, uh, there is a commonness, and that is we don't really want other people coming in here telling us what to do. And yep. that, that makes yep. a, a, a little tricky in missions. I ended up in the northernmost end of the Appalachian Mountains in Canada, and their culture is incredibly different from ours. But there was that common issue. They would welcome you onto their front porch. You didn't get to go in the kitchen yet. Mm-hmm. But once they saw you're okay, you know, you get invited on further, deeper into their home, I would say. And I think that's true both places and maybe other places that I don't know about. But Appalachia is certainly a, a different place because of that and the independence that people have to have here to survive in the early days and, and still yet many of them. And so it, it makes it a little tough to get them to to, to listen to a conversation. Tell us how you ended up in the northern part of Appalachia here, way up north in Canada there. Well, as we were serving here, uh, we began in 1997 with the mission board, and we were uh, first thinking we would, we said publicly, we'll go wherever God wants us to go, and it looked like he was going to just use us right here, and and we, and it was a little disappointing at first, <laughs> but then we said, no, this there's missions to do here, and we're happy with that, and just about the time we decided that, I went for a... a introductory meeting at church for a a Henry Blackaby Bible study for men called The Man God Uses. Mm -hmm. And all we did was get the book and see the theme verse of that, which was, or or the theme statement, which was, God is looking for men to stand in the gap based on Nehemiah. And so I got the book and came back home. Linda was... uh, she was having back issues and she was still in bed when I got back. I went to the mailbox, picked up the mail, went inside, sat down on the side of the bed with her and began to open the mail. And there was one from the Tennessee Baptist Convention saying that a pastor on Prince Edward Island, Canada had requested that she and I come and help them for eight months to develop a Sunday school. This is a church we had been to on a short-term mission trip. Well, if you think about going away for eight months, that's an odd thing. I couldn't get an eight-month uh, vacation or leave of absence. <laughs> Linda's a hairdresser, and you will know from your wife, they're not a wife. A woman's not going to wait eight months for a hairdresser no. to come. What's going to happen at the end of that eight month? We didn't know, and so we were just thrown into a crisis of faith. What? What do we really? How can we do this? And the questions piled up faster than the answers. Uh, what will we do about our house? What about our jobs? What about our cat? Who keep our cat? No, just little things, you know. And and we began to sort through that and say, we can't really deal with the I don't know. There's more I don't knows than I can come to grips with. 
And so what we did was Lynn and I decided we'd narrow it down to two questions. Is this God calling us to do it? And will we obey? Mm. And through Linda had her Bible time, I had mine. We'd come back together at the end of the day and say, what did you hear? And it was incredible that many days we the same verse had struck us, the same passage of Scripture. That, and pretty soon, I mean, it didn't take us long to say, well, we didn't ask for this, so it must be God calling us. But the real hard one was, will we obey? Mm. And I just would say, on my own, I couldn't have done that. But God gave me faith to obey. Isn't that great from Him? Yeah. So you really didn't know that many people up there, other other than this pastor, maybe? I knew the pastor, and that's all. I I remembered some people when we had been there for a week before I remembered them. But I didn't even know the pastor except for an experience of one week. Man, that's scary. That's scary. And so here we went. We packed up as much stuff as we could uh, put in a Ford Taurus. We lived eight months in a motel room on Prince Edward Island through a winter. And that was exceptional. Did you actually see snow that year? Well, we saw <laughs> snow starting in September. So, wow. Yeah. And and the last snow melted that June, next June. Oh. So uh, I have a photograph of Linda going to the post office and through a little tunnel of snow. It's up past her waist. Uh, mm. for the first... We don't really have winter big, here, First do we? big snow, she decided we'd, we'd plan out, and she's going to make a snow angel. You know how you fall back into the mm-hmm. snow spread jar? She went out of sight into the snow. <laughs> and we were dressed like the Michelin tire man, you know. We had everything we had on, and I, I thought I was never going to get her back up. So now, did the people dress as heavy as you did? They, they, were... they thought it was a mild winter, you know. We, were, <laughs> we put every stitch of clothes we had on. But... Anyway, we saw some winter, yeah, and, and we had incredible experiences that we wouldn't have had otherwise. One of the things we did early, and we're still doing it, is say, what would we have missed if we had said no? That was an option. We could have said no. Mm. But what would we have missed? And I, I could tell you from now on how what we would have missed. I would have missed standing at the top of the bobsled ramp at the Olympic Training Center. Mm. I would have missed that. I would have missed seeing a, a mother and her daughter sitting on both opposite sides of a little church start respond to an invitation on an Easter Sunday morning being mm. saved, both of them. On and on, I could go on about that, and, and Linda and I do, and we don't keep a written list, but it's every day. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? And we would have missed that if we have said no. And so we learned... God wants us to see incredible things. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you learned in that experience. Well, so you beat me to the punch there. I, I learned many things, but what I learned was God, one of my verses at that time was, God chooses the foolish things and the despised things and the weak things mm. of this world so that he gets honor and glory out of it. I didn't know how to start a church. They started calling me a church planter. I had no idea how to start a church. Never mm-hmm. had read anything about starting a church. All I did was, I had this very, uh, this is the missionary prayer, I think, uh, unofficial. We would drive about an hour to this place to where we had a little church start. And all the way as I drove, my prayer was, God, please don't let me mess this up. 
And I just watched Jesus start his church. The mm-hmm. Bible tells us he's the head of the church. Mm-hmm. And people would say, what are you doing? I'd say, I'm, all I'm doing is doing what mm-hmm. I know to do. And that's just, we started with children, which everybody told us you can't do. And while they were telling me that, a church started up around children because the adults got curious and started coming. And we started an adult Bible study. And next thing you know, a church sprang up. Here's one I would have missed. We needed a bigger space. And in the heart of this little fishing village where we were was a hardware store. They had just moved into a new building. They had a beautiful old building, and it was for sale for $100,000, which is exactly $100,000 more than we had. (laughs) And I sat down and wrote a letter one day, and I told the owner of this hardware that if that was our building, we'd start a church in there. But it wouldn't be like a church he had ever seen because we wouldn't be in that church much, but we'd be in the community lots. And I just said, you know, I just think it would be wonderful if you would give us that building. That started a conversation that lasted about three or four months. It went way above my head. But in the end, the guy said, we're going to give you this building. They, they handed us the keys and title of this wow. building. Wow. And a church blossomed in that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, people began to come and that story you know why are you in this hardware store and we partnered with another hardware owner in in the town gave him a key and i'd go in on sunday morning there'd be a washer or a dryer or a refrigerator and if he took a good trade in he'd bring them over to us and we started taking those to people who needed appliances in the neighborhood and We'd take, with a washer, we'd take detergent. And with the refrigerator, we'd take a basket of food as we went. And we just started reaching into people's lives and showing them, this church cares about you. Mm. And that wasn't happening there. Doesn't happen a lot of places, to be honest about it. Yeah, that's true. Well, listen, we're going to have to land the plane. Okay. But I wanna, before we do here, I'm going to give you the twinkling of the eye around, All which right. is rapid-fire questions. Okay. So here we go. First one. Uh, if you could preach anywhere in the world, where would you preach? I've already done that. It was at my home church, Fairview Baptist. I got to do that. And and my mother, who at that time was pretty much wheelchair bound, got to be there. Yeah. And she recently went home to be yes, with the Lord. Yes, she did. So, mm-hmm. who is your favorite preacher to listen to? Who do you enjoy listening to? I love... Other than Chris Shumay, of course. Uh, Chris, <laughs> I was going to say him because he might listen to this and I'd be in trouble <laughs> if I didn't say that. J. Vernon McGee would be my answer. I love okay. that guy. He puts the cookies down on the low shelf as, as he... I think he said that. Friends is a great many people. Mm. It's a regular phrase he yes. used uh, For a long time, I thought he was getting better. And then I found out he died several years before I started listening I know, to him. I too. Before I ever heard of him, he was already gone. But what an influence he had. Uh, and then uh, lastly, uh, and I think you may have already said this, if you had to pick one verse that's had a big impact on your life, what, what would it be? I think uh, it would be Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that, that uh, has impacted us because... We we used I used that as an email for at, at one time and an email address and it just it has been all over me for a long time. Uh, I, I have a, a verse a day, but I think that would be it. Good. Well, thank you for joining us today, and uh, maybe I'll have you back sometime. You can right. give us more points on. Thanks ice for cream. letting us be here. Yeah, <laughs> we'll bring some ice cream. All right. Thank you. 
You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.